You are listening to the Long Hollow Podcast. For more information on Long Hollow or to watch a video version of this podcast, visit www.longhollow.com. The next few weeks are going to be heavy as we talk about what God's Word has to say about sexuality and gender. Um, we're going to have the choice as we start today to ask ourselves the question, what voice are we listening to? Are we listening to the voice of God or are we listening to the voices in our culture? Today I want to start with a story uh, of something that recently happened in our home to show you why it's important to listen to the right voices. Our son Ryder, who's our youngest son, he's 11 years old and uh, he's played basketball ever since he was five, and I've coached him on every team he's played for. And last year, uh, I co- uh, coached with a, a guy in our church, Adam French. You may know he's starting a recovery ministry. And he said, you know, I think if you'd put Ryder in football, he would be more aggressive. I said, I think that's a good idea. And so I went home this summer, and I said, son, you're going to play football this year. And he said, I'm not playing football. I'm a basketball player. I said, well, I didn't ask for your opinion, but I appreciate it. You know, we were playing football this year, right? And so uh, I decided to tell him that, and uh, this is true. For one week, Ryder did not speak to me in the home. Every time I'd walk in after the office, I'd say, hey, hey, buddy, how was your day? I say, Candy, what's, she said, he's mad at you because you made, you're making him play football. And I had to sit down and tell him, Ryder, listen, son, God creates certain people for certain things. You are 11 years old. You have a size 13 shoe. You are 5'8", 135 pounds. You have a six-foot wingspan. God built you for football, son. I mean, let's just be honest. I don't know if there's anything else you can do but football. And he said, but I hate football. I said, I know. You told me that already. So we made him go to practice. I'll never forget the first day. Candy picked him up and brought him home. And Candy was the first one to walk in the door. And I said, what, what do you think of it? And she said, I'm going to let him tell you. I said, oh, no, here we go. Walked in, and he had uh, his helmet, and he said, Dad, you were right, and I was wrong. I loved it. (laughs) So he loved it, right? And so now basketball season's coming up, and he said, I don't play basketball anymore. I'm a football. I was like, son, I don't want to hear it, right? But the reality is, I tell you that to tell you, sometimes the most trusted voices in our lives are the ones we ignore. I mean, you did this as, as a child like me. You have children. Anybody have children who do that? We tell them and we know what's best for them and they don't listen to us at the time. So the question is, how do we know which voice, which voice to trust today? There's so many voices in the world. I want to submit to you that the Bible, the Word of God, is a trusted voice in the world today. In fact, it has said the same thing for thousands and thousands of years. First Peter says in 1 Peter 1.21, the Bible is the Word of God. It doesn't say the Bible contains the Word of God or records the Word of God. It actually says the Bible is the Word of God. But we know this from Paul when he says all Scripture is God what? Breathe. It's the breath of God. And so the reason this is important is because much of our sexual beliefs are informed by something other than the Word of God. And a lot of the things we believe have been informed by culture. I mean, think about it. We have separated sexuality from spirituality. Wouldn't you agree? Today, the culture has separated biology from theology. And when we do that, we create a wound in in our own soul because we know we are longing for something more. I just want to tell you right out the gate for this series so we're all on the same page. I'm not preaching this sermon series for amens or applause. 
In fact, my goal is simply out of a burden in my own heart for what's happening in our culture. My burden is to share what God's word has to say about sexuality and gender. And if you don't leave this series after four weeks with more empathy and compassion and kindness and love toward another person, I have failed as a pastor. Friends, the word of God is never given as a club to bludgeon you. It's a love letter to invite you into a relationship with a God who loves you so much and who is pursuing you so well. And so I wanna to begin today in the beginning. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter three and we'll begin in Genesis three. But we know from the Bible, Genesis one and two, God has said a lot up to this point. And God has spoken a lot up to this point. He's, his voice is all through the first two chapters. In fact, if you look at it, God speaks or says something 20 different times. God spoke the, the world into being. God said, let there be light. God said, let the waters be separate. So, so God's voice is all through chapters one and two. And then we get to chapter three, and the voice of the serpent begins with a question. And I wanna to submit to you that this question is the same question he has been asking and whispering in our ears for generation after generation after generation. Now, notice with Genesis chapter three, verse one, we like to say word here at Long Hollow. If you're at home, you can say word when you get to Genesis chapter three. The word of the Lord. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? One of the things we know about the creative order of God is that God has set up a system by which we can flourish and prosper. For example, there are rules and principles and standards for us to live by. I mean, it's built into the very fabric of the world we live in, right? I mean, think about the laws of gravity. There are certain laws that you can't break. There's law, the law of cause and effect. There's the law of energy. There are certain driving laws that you have to drive on the right side of the road in order to be safe. There are certain speed limits that you have to abide by, which for some of you are suggestions in Sumner County, right? I mean, let's, let's be honest, right? Uh, there are rules to play athletics. There are certain rules for football and baseball, and there are rules that boys play against boys and girls should play against girls. There are rules for checkers and chess, and without rules, you and I would agree, the, the rules, if you don't abide by the rules, there's chaos and confusion. Now, the principle is, in order for the rules to work, the people have to submit to the rules. But we have a choice. Do we follow the rules or, or do we not? Now, what's interesting about God is the ultimate designer of all things is that God created everything with order. I mean, even down to the very cells of the human body. If you look at a microscope, you'll see that even the cells are ordered. If you look at the helix of a DNA, the strand, there's an order to it. Uh, if you look at the, uh, the, the, the golden ratio in nature, if you see this golden, it's all through nature and all through uh, wildlife and animals and plants. You also see order in the fact that Tennessee fans every year during spring say, this is the year for the past 15 years that I've been in the state of Tennessee. <laughs> but let's be honest, it does feel like the 1998 season when we won it all, right? Go Vols, anybody, right? Go Vols. <laughs> Ooh, this is the year. But anyway, there's an order to certain things, right? We know that. So what I want to teach you is two insights about how Satan disrupts the order. God is a God of order and not confusion. 
Satan is a, God, is, is, is a false god of chaos and confusion. Here's the first insight. Satan is the author of chaos and confusion. He is the author of chaos and confusion. Let's go back to Genesis 1. And I wanna show you the economy of God. I wanna show you how God operates, and this is through all scripture, but we see it in the beginning. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. This is not a good thing, so it's dark and void and empty, and so it's not a good thing. And yet the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God spoke and said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good, and, and watch this, he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. There was evening and there was morning one day. Now here's how God works. I want you to see how God works. God always takes disorder and creates order. He takes opposites and he makes them fit together. That's the way God works. We see that in Genesis. So I wanna give you a line, I want you to write this down. This is how God works in life in the Bible. God, watch this, God, God's order leads to alignment with him. So God says, here's an order, here's a standard, here's rules, here's commandments, this is the order. And if you follow the order, you'll be in alignment with me. And if you're in alignment with God, it leads to blessing and flourishing and prospering. That's the way it works. And we see that in Genesis, right? God took two opposites and he makes them work together in alignment, in balance, in rhythm. For example, he takes day and night, works together. He takes light and darkness. He takes sky and land. Uh, he takes man and woman, two opposites, and he makes them work together. Now here's how it works. You have to have both in order to work. If you have too much sunlight and not darkness, the plants die, too much heat. But if you don't have enough sun and you have all darkness, the plants won't grow. If you have too much rain, it saturates the ground and everything is, is soggy. But if you don't have enough rain, things will die and they won't grow. So you see this, these opposites coming together. And it shows us that the great philosopher Paula Abdul had it best when she said, it ain't fiction, it's a natural fact. <laughs> we come together because opposites Anybody with me? Any 90s people? With, I mean, because opposites attract. I mean, she knew. She was on to something, right? Uh, but the point I want to make is this. Order creates alignment, and alignment creates blessing. And here's what God says. Watch this. If God says, if you follow my ways, and you listen to my word, and you implement it into your life, you will prosper, and you will be blessed. If you don't do that, and that's our choice as human beings, if you don't do that, you're going to experience disorder chaos and confusion. And so here's the deal. When you and I do what's right in our own eyes and in our own thoughts or what we hear from the culture or the TV or anything else as it pertains to sexuality or gender or sin of any kind or greed or idolatry or adultery, then we are going to experience chaos and confusion. We get death from life. We get sickness out of health, we get disorder out of order. I mean, that's just the way it works. And if you look through biblical history, watch this. Every single time, this is amazing, every time human beings wanted to be like God, we do it our way, we know better than you, we have a better idea, you're archaic, we didn't know for thought, now we know, you didn't know. When we wanna do it the way we want and make our own rules doing what we want, everything falls apart in scripture. But when human beings say we wanna be with God, 
we're gonna follow your ways, we're gonna follow your rules, we're gonna follow your commands, then everything goes well for them. Now, why is that important? Because if that's the case, Satan knows when you and I follow truth and hear the truth, things go well, and he does not want us to go well, why? Because his plan is to kill, steal, and destroy, then Satan is the master manipulator. Point two, watch this. Satan always, always distorts God's truth. That's what he does. He always distorts God's truth. Satan's deal is to whisper in our ear doubt. Did God really say you should honor your mother and father? Did God really say you shouldn't worship other gods beside him? Did he really say that? Did God say really that he created them male and female? Did God really say marriage was one man, one woman, one flesh, one lifetime? Did God really say that you need to repent of sin? See, these are the questions he wants to put in your mind, these seeds of doubt. Now, Jesus said, let me give you a warning about Satan, and he kind of frames the, the whole ministry of Satan, which it is a ministry of destruction. Satan's ministry, or Satan's MO, is lies. Jesus said he's a liar and the father of lies. And so what he does is he takes nuggets of truth and he packages them and surrounds them in lies and he presents them as doctrine, right? And, and, and you know, every, uh, the best lies have a hint of truth inside of them and that's what Satan does best. I was reading a book by a, a guy named, he was a psychologist, his name is Daniel Kahneman, or Daniel Kahneman is his name. He wrote a book, you may know it, it's called Thinking Fast and Slow. It's a leadership book. And here's what he said about how to propagate a lie in society today. He says, a reliable way to make people believe in falsehoods or believe lies is frequent repetition because familiarity is not easily distinguished from truth. And what, what he's saying is, the whole world is saying, it's got to be true, right? My, my feed on Instagram, my Facebook posts, my, my, my social media accounts, the school's saying it, teachers are teaching. It's got to be true. And here's how Satan works. He knows if he repeats a lie enough times, you start to believe it as truth. Friends, our culture, and I don't need to tell you this, but our culture is getting bolder and bolder pushing a new sexual ethic that is contrary to the word of God. I mean, think of the 80s and 90s when, if you can remember back then, back then you, you, you had a culture pushing promiscuity and hookups and, and pornography back then. Now uh, you'd be hard pressed to find a sitcom or a movie that doesn't depict a monogamous relationship between a man and a woman as nothing less than a prison sentence today. And why would you do that? The motto of our culture in relationships today is try it before you buy it. God knows you don't want to be connected with them for life, so try it out. And if you don't like it, you return it for someone else, right? And now we've moved beyond this promiscuity and pornography and what the sexual ethic now is, homosexuality and gender. And our kids today, your kids, my kids, our grandkids, they are bombarded on TikTok and Instagram and Twitter and online with a sexual agenda. They're just pushing this. And if you don't believe it's true, I mean, think about this. We used to be able to take our kids to a safe Disney movie for the family. I mean, that was no question 10 years, 20 years ago. Like we could go to a Disney movie. We didn't have to worry. We didn't have to go to 
you know, family or, 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 or the Common Sense app or whatever, the different apps to, to find out. Nowadays, it's pushed, the, the sexual agenda and ethic is pushed in every movie. My, my boys love Buzz Lightyear. My, my, my son Ryder loves Buzz Lightyear. He's got the, the animals, he's got the figurines. He could, he's waited years for this movie to come out. And in the movie, you know, there are two girls kissing together. The agenda is blatantly obvious for anyone who's looking for it. I mean, it's everywhere today. Now, why is that important? Because Satan would love nothing more than to divide and to separate. That's what he wants. See, he thrives on chaos and confusion and division. And you and I both know, just look around the country today. We are more divided. We're not the United States of America. We're more the divided states of America today. Rick Warren said it best. He said this quote, which I think is appropriate for our culture. He said, our culture today has accepted two huge lies. Young people, listen to this. The first lie is that you, if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, the way they live, the choices they have, the gender they chose, if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear them or hate them, which is not true. But the second lie is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise your convictions to be compassionate for people. Young people, listen to me. Suggesting that the only way you can be a friend of someone else is to agree on everything you agree on, that's ludicrous. We don't even agree on everything in this room. You don't even probably agree with everything in your family. How in the world can we agree, or your spouse? I know I'm meddling a bit, but anyway, I mean, we, we don't agree on everything. I'll give you an example. One of my friends, and he's a close friend, is a Mormon. I've told you about him before. He, I see him almost every other week. Um, he's a bicycle riding, married in Salt Lake City, temple, holy garment wearing years ago, Mormon. I mean, he was all into Mormonism, and I love this man, and I have compassion for him. But every time I see him, I put the gospel before him. Why? Because I love him that much. I mean, think about this. The most unloving thing for me to do to him is to not tell him the truth in love. That's unloving. I mean, I mean, think about this. If you believe as a born-again Christian that there's a real God and there's a real place called hell and that real people spend eternity there and at the same time, this loving God offers acceptance and forgiveness to any man or woman here today who confesses their sin and puts their faith in Jesus Christ that they can have eternal life for tomorrow and a fulfilling, satisfied life today. How much do you have to hate someone not to tell them that? But Robbie, you, you don't understand. <laughs> the Bible says, do not judge me. You ever done that when you're telling somebody the truth about the word of God? They say, hey, Bible says don't judge. So you're judging me, so don't judge me. And so the question is, should we judge people? I mean, should we judge someone who's in adultery? Should we judge someone who looks at porn? Should we judge someone who's changed gender? Should we judge someone who's living in a homosexual lifestyle? And the answer is we have to go back to scripture to look at what Jesus said. And I reminded you earlier, one of the ways Satan confuses even Christians is by twisting the meaning of Scripture, okay? So I want to take this text in context, and I want to show you what Jesus actually meant. It's Matthew 7, 1 through 2. This is the passage you'll hear when you're saying it. People say, don't judge me. You're, not supposed to, you're a Christian. You're not supposed to judge. We're well, referencing this passage, 
And Jesus says right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, do not judge so that you won't be judged. For you will be judged by the same standard for which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure that you use. Now, the question is, is Jesus saying we shouldn't judge? Well, that's not what he's saying, because if you look at the context of the passage, just three verses down in verse six, you'll see Jesus saying you have to judge. You have to use judgment, right? Why? Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs. Now, the question is, how in the world can you discern a dog and a pig if you don't judge them, right? A dog and a pig are just Gentiles who are unbelievers. So you have to use judgment to determine that, but Jesus isn't done. Watch this, verse 15. Jesus says, as he goes down, be on guard against false prophets. Okay, how am I gonna judge if a, a man's a true prophet or a false prophet? You need to see if they are sheep or, or, or they're, they're in sheep's clothing or, or inwardly ravaging wolves. So what he says is you're gonna have to judge not by just the outward appearance, but if someone inwardly is a wolf. So you're judging again. And then Jesus continues, the final one. You'll recognize them by the fruit they bear. You'll judge them. Or grapes gathered from thorn bushes, that's a judgment. Figs from thistles, you have to judge that. In the same way, every good fruit produces good, or tree produces good fruit. Every bad tree produces bad fruit. So the question is, what is Jesus saying? Jesus is not saying Christians should not judge other people. We have to judge. We judge all the time. Here's what he's saying. Jesus is saying when you judge, don't judge critically. Don't judge hypocritically. Don't be judgmental toward another person. Now, the proponents of those who say you shouldn't judge actually miss Jesus' own words in John chapter 7, verse 24, when G the red letter here, red letters, Jesus says, do not judge by appearances, but when you judge, judge with right judgment. That's Jesus. Now, wh why do I tell you that? I want you to get this. Scripture's clear. I am not your judge. I'm not here to judge you. And in the same way, you're not here to judge me. I mean, you're not my judge, right? Uh, as far as being the judge of all. However, Scripture commands believers to judge moral behavior. And that's the command of God. And I'll prove it to you. Remember in Acts chapter 5 when Ananias and Sapphira in the early church said, we just sold the farm and we're giving all the money to the church. And Peter and John called them out and say, man, you're lying. You didn't sell it all. You kept some back and the judgment of God fall. They had to judge that. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 11. Remember that, that, that situation in Corinth? kind of the church going wild, kind of a Jerry Springer kind of situation, right? You have, the, you have the son sleeping with the father's new wife, and Paul says, listen to me, <laughs> judge the immoral person and kick them out of fellowship so that they can be buffeted by Satan. Paul is saying, you have to judge this behavior. I mean, Paul does it all through his letters. Paul says names like Alexander the coppersmith is living an immoral life, Hermeneus, uh, Hermogenes, Philetus, Demas, 2 Timothy chapter 4. So the question is, what is the judgment about? I think it's fascinating, too, that when someone says to me, stop judging me, you're not supposed to judge, they are actually judging you at the moment with a judgment. Interesting. What does this have to do with sexuality and gender? The reason I tell you that is this. Our posture through this series and in life with any issue, this just happens to be the issues today, but 20 years from now, there'll be others. 
our posture as believers who know the truth and experience the love of God, we should have a posture of humility and compassion. Friends, let me remind you, the same unconfessed sin that you point a finger at in another person's life is the same unconfessed sin in your life that can destroy you. And that's all you have to do is take whatever sin you disgusted with and pull it out of the blank and put your sin in. And that is an abomination to the Lord as well. And the reason I tell you this, it it should motivate us to want to learn as Christians, what does the word of God say? And not be influenced by uh, opinions of others or Instagram comments or Facebook posts or anything else in the world. Like our goal should be a posture of we want to hear what God's word says. So for the next few weeks, just kind of tell you where we're going. We're going to lay a foundation next week for God's divine design for marriage. And I think when we understand this unchanging covenant for thousands and thousands of years, it'll kind of set the tone for the rest of the series. And what we're going to ask is, what voices are we listening to when it comes to marriage and sexuality and gender? Is it God's loving, welcoming, unchanging voice for thousands and thousands of years? Or are we being manipulated by the whisper in our ear that says, did God really say? And so the question we're going to ask is, what voice are we going to listen to? I want to fin- finish with a, a true story. It's going to seem uh, untrue. It seems like a preacher story, but I, I went and confirmed it, and Colin helped me confirm it. It's a true story, as crazy as it is, about the power of listening to the right voice. Attorney David Gibbons, or David Gibbs, sorry, was leaving the Aleutian Islands of Alaska uh, as he was finishing up a case with uh, his partner uh, in the law firm. And they were actually going to take a plane, a commercial plane flight back to Anchorage, Alaska, and they were going to fly home. And uh, David Gibbs is a believer, and one of the men in the airport was a pastor, and he saw him walk in, and he said, "Uh, Brother Gibbs, I'd I'd like to make a proposition to you. I know you're flying commercial, but I actually own an airplane, and I can fly you home. I'd like to do that as a gift to you for all you do, and I I want you to save your money and tell your attorney friend, save his money and put the ticket in the pocket and use it somewhere else. And Gibbs looked out the window. He's very hesitant to see this little small plane outside. He's like, ah, I think I'll go with commercial. But the pastor was persistent. He's like, no, I'd love to do this. It'd be my gift to you. And so Gibbs hesitantly decided to get in the plane. And so they get in this little small plane, he says, and he says, the pastor was the pilot. He sat in the co-pilot seat. He said, we, we sat next to him. And he said, my attorney friend was in the back of this little plane. We close it, put the headset on. And he said, his nerves started to subdue a little bit as they got off the ground about three or four minutes into the climb. He said he was starting to breathe a little better. And at that moment, the pilot turned over to him and said, you need to know something about me. He said, it doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen that when I fly through clouds, I sometimes pass out cold. (laughs) To which attorney Gibbs looks out the window and realizes the plane now is engulfed in clouds. To which he looks back at the pilot and the pilot is out. And Gibbs said at that moment, he grabbed him and and shook him frantically to no avail. And he said, you better wake up so I could kill you right now. You know, I should have never got on this plane. And he said, they didn't know what to do. And so he decided to to turn around to his friend. His friend said, we're going to die, huh? And he said, there's a good possibility we're going to die. So he grabs this radio off the dash. He presses the button and he says, hello, hello. And the voice 
comes on the radio and says, do you guys not know proper airplane uh, etiquette to speak? And he said, no, we don't know anything. He said, we're on a plane with a passed out pilot and two guys who don't know how to fly an airplane. And the voice came back and he said, Gibbs said, the next words from the air traffic controller were essential for their survival. He said, the air traffic controller says, I want you to know my job is to get you home safe But here's the deal. If you wanna get home safe, you're gonna have to listen and obey my voice. You can't see me, but I can see you. And if you don't obey my voice, you're not gonna make it. And he said, just a moment later, he came back on. He said, okay, listen, I got you on radar. You are four minutes away from crashing into the side of a mountain. Follow my voice. And when Gibbs tells the story, he kind of pulls over and parks, and he says, I want you to understand. He says, he said, I understood that his voice was the only thing I had. And without his voice, I had nothing. And he said, without the voice of God in this world today, you and I have nothing. We have nothing. So he looked out the window, and the weather was horrible. And the pilot got back on and said, hey, listen, you're in for a rough ride, but that's okay. You just remember what I told you earlier. Listen and obey my voice. Whatever you do, don't let your eyes look to the storms. There's a lot of storm, a lot of storms around. Don't look to the storms. Just listen to my voice. If you trust my voice, you're going to live. And he said after they got through the worst of the weather, the pilot said, I'm going to line you up to land. And it was a smaller airport and a little airport with a little runway. And he said, I want you to know that when you come down, you're going to see the runway. And at night, the runway is in the shape of a cross. He said, follow the cross home. And so he got through the clouds, he said, and he descended about a couple hundred feet off the ground. He looked down, and sure enough, there's a cross on on the runway. And he said, when I got down, I landed the plane seven times. He just landed the thing, (laughs) couldn't couldn't land it. But they made it. He said, they made it. And right before he he finished up, his heart was racing. The guy behind him couldn't believe it. The pilot finally woke up. You know, you're no use to us, you know. And finally, the guy came back on the radio, the, the, the air traffic controller, and he said, the voice said one more time, thanks for listening to my voice. He said, sadly, I watch people crash and burn all the time because they won't follow my voice. He said, they don't understand. I can see them. They can't see me, but I can see them but they listen to the voices in their head and they listen to the voices around and they self-destruct and they, they come home and they, and they die. Thanks for listening to my voice. Gibbs said they put him up in a motel that night, kind of debriefing them the next day. And he said before he left the hotel, he got a knock on the door and he opened the door and the man said, hello, David. And Gibbs said, he said, you're the voice. You're the voice that got me home. And the man said, I am, I am the voice. Friends, do you understand this? Watch this. One day, you and I are gonna stand before God and he's gonna say, I'm the voice that brought you home. There are endless voices today in our culture telling us what to do with our bodies and what to do with our life and what to do with our minds and what to do with our sexuality and what to do with our identity. And the question is, which voice are we gonna listen to, right? 
And I just wanna to appeal to you, if Jesus Christ rose from the dead like he said he would, and if Jesus Christ is the Son of God like he said he was, then we have no choice but to listen to his voice. Why? Because his teachings on sexuality are true. His design for marriage is good. You need to trust this. And his plan for gender is right. So no matter how much Satan casts doubt or manipulates scripture or twists the words of God or continues to create this changing cultural narrative, we can confidently, listen to me, we can confidently trust and build our lives on the unchanging, inerrant, infallible word of God. So stop listening to the voices in your head. Stop listening to the voices of the culture. Stop listening to the voices of your classmates in school. Stop listening to the voices of Snapchat or Instagram or news or television or pop culture or even popular songs today. And let's commit to listening to the voice of God. So here's what I wanna do as we close. I know in a group this size, there are some who would say, man, pastor, I have man, allowed, allowed voices to creep in and distract me from God. The voice of social media, the voice of network television, the voice of, of news, radio. And, and so here's what I wanna do. I, I'm gonna ask you to come and I'm gonna ask you to come for two reasons. One is just to really come back and ask the Lord to, to, to give you a course correction and say, man, I wanna hear from you, God. I wanna, I wanna hear from you through this series. I'm putting my presuppositions and all these ideas and opinions aside, and I'm gonna hear from you. I wanna hear your voice. And then secondly, I'm gonna ask you as a church to come pray with me. I really believe, and I really think it's a, it's, it's a spiritual moment in the life of our church. I, I know the weight of this moment, and I hope you do. This is a moment in history and life of our church. And I just wanna ask you to come as your pastor and just pray with me. Let's commit this series and this time to God. I really believe God's gonna use this series to change the course and trajectory of hundreds and hundreds of lives potentially in our church and online as well. And so I'm gonna ask you, would you come and join me? I'm gonna pray with you. And we're just gonna commit this series and this time to the Lord. And maybe you just come and say, I wanna hear the voice of God again. I wanna hear God's word fresh. Again, would you come? If you're a deacon, maybe in your, grab the hand of your wife. If you're a staff member, you can come. If you're a lay leader, maybe you're here for the first time. You say, hey, I just want to come and pray. I want to commit this time to the Lord. I got some family members, some friends that I love dearly. Remember, we're not talking about straw men argument. We're not talking about ideas. We're talking about people here. We're talking about real people with real emotions and real challenges and real struggles and real brothers and sisters and moms and dads. And so I, I just want us to pray for that. Would you join me? You can come and you can just kind of bow down if you want to come and there's no spot here. You can just kneel in the back. And we're just going to pray and commit this time to the Lord. If you feel led to come, you come. Just grab the hand of your spouse and Maybe a person comes to mind, a family member, you want to pray for as we commit this time together. Father, we confess we need your direction. God, we confess that we are confused at times. We hear so many things, God, whether it's on television or 
the news or online or through our children, our friends, and neighbors, relatives. God, we, we have so many voices in our head. We need to hear clearly your voice. And so God, as we commit this series to you, I'm praying now for the men and women, God, that we know personally, family members or friends who are struggling in areas of sexuality or gender. God, we offer them up to you. We know you love them more than we ever can love them. And you're pursuing them more than we ever have. And so we just commit that time to you. We commit this series to you, God. We pray for us who have been sidetracked by the culture of today or popular media, God. We, we confess that to you. We've gotten our eyes off of Jesus. And so we confess that, God. Would you speak to us now? We want to hear your voice, God. We want to spend time in your presence. And so we commit this time to you. Speak to us now. We ask it in your name.